Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 30th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the WorkComp Academy. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A large wage theft case that unfolded in Southern California federal court offers a picture of the car wash business and raises ethical questions concerning its lawyers at Littler Mendelssohn, the nation's largest management side employment firm. At the center of the case is the company's owner, Vahid David Del Rahim, who was named last November as the buyer of a $9.1 million home in Hidden Hills, the neighborhood that also houses Kim Kardashian and Miley Cyrus. The U.S. Department of Labor announced that the workers at Del Rahim's two dozen Southland car washes will receive the back pay under a consent agreement reached with Del Rahim and filed in Los Angeles Federal Court. The car wash owners have been ordered to pay $4.2 million in back wages and damages to more than 800 employees. According to the complaint filed in a Los Angeles federal court, Del Rahim's mostly Latino employees were required to report to work at a certain time, but directed not to clock in until customers arrived. And when business slowed down, they were told to clock out, but remain on the job. The investigation began in 2015 with 63 current and former workers of a single facility, the Brea Car Wash and Detail Center, and later turned into a fierce legal slugfest. Three Agora Hills-based companies are also defendants, Southwest Fuel Management, Golden West Solutions Group, and California Payroll Group. Prosecutors later added Del Rahim's daughter, Shannon Del Rahim, as a defendant. The Littler Mendelssohn Law Firm had argued that Shannon was a 21-year-old part-time marketing intern enrolled full-time at Pepperdine University. But documents subpoenaed from Pepperdine showed that Shannon was actually 26, had listed her job as HR director for her father's companies since 2009 and attended classes only at night and on weekends. Investigators requested that Del Rahim and his company manager produce evidence such as surveillance footage, text messages, and emails that related to employee work hours, wages, schedules, guidelines, and gross business income. But the defendants failed to provide the requested material. A retired judge who was appointed by the court ruled that Del Rahim had purposely destroyed video evidence and that the Littler Mendelssohn law firm representing Del Rahim was deliberately and willfully stonewalling on discovery. Over the course of the case, Del Rahim and Littler Mendelssohn have been sanctioned by the court five times for withholding documents and other not substantially justified delaying tactics. They have been ordered to reimburse the government nearly $24,000 in legal fees. The car wash industry has one of the highest levels of wage theft and workplace violations recorded by the California Division of Labor Standards Enforcement. In the past five years, inspectors have issued nearly 1,500 citations for failing to pay workers' compensation, minimum wage, 
and overtime, refusing to provide itemized pay statements, denying rest and meal breaks, and operating without a license. In 2012, California Attorney General Kamala Harris announced a $1 million settlement in a lawsuit against a company that owned car washes in Santa Monica, Venice, Irvine, Laguna Niguel, Laguna Hills, Folsom, Fair Oaks, and San Ramon. And now our crime report. Hundreds were charged by federal authorities across the United States last June in cases that cumulatively alleged $2 billion in bogus billings. The nationwide sweep includes charges against 165 doctors, nurses, and other licensed medical professionals who allegedly participated in health care fraud schemes. One of the indictments outlines a conspiracy by an attorney and a Southern California QME that was responsible for more than $250 million in fraudulent claims for prescriptions that were filled by compounding pharmacies. The indictment charged 41-year-old Irina Schutt, an attorney who lives in Hidden Hills, with paying kickbacks to two podiatrists to authorize prescriptions written on pre-printed prescription pads, regardless of the medical need for an expensive compounded formulary. The charged podiatrist, 51-year-old Dominic Singarelli of Irvine, and 51-year-old Robert Joseph of Huntington Beach, allegedly received kickbacks for writing the prescriptions. Sigarelli is currently listed as a QME in podiatry by the DIR with nine offices in Southern California. Signorelli agreed to change his plea to guilty when he signed a plea agreement on July 22nd. He agreed to cooperate with authorities and to forfeit nearly $1 million, which he agreed he obtained as a result of the criminal conduct. His 29-page plea agreement provides additional facts about his case. TYY Consulting Incorporated purported to provide marketing consulting services to pharmacies, specifically including Compounding Pharmaceuticals, Inc., and Precise Compounding Pharmacy, Inc. Irina Shoot, a Woodland Hills attorney, was a TYY marketing representative based in Los Angeles, who, through her entity, Mize Marketing, was paid percentage-based commissions for facilitating the referral of prescriptions for compounded drugs to the TYY-affiliated pharmacies. Singarelli and Joseph wrote prescriptions for compounded drugs that were routed to the TYY-affiliated pharmacies in exchange for kickback and bribe payments from Shoot. Shoot paid them nearly $1 million, concealed through various means, including payments to two members of the defendant's family in exchange for authorizing prescriptions for compounded drugs that were dispensed at the TYY-related pharmacies. A competency to stand trial hearing has been set for attorney Lee Mathis in a federal criminal court where he hopes to end his prosecution and upcoming trial. San Diego chiropractor George Reese was indicted in 2014 for referring patients to a Los Angeles area medical service provider known as 
foremost shockwave solutions in return for bribes. Foremost shockwave solutions was allegedly controlled by attorney Lee Mathis and Fernando Valdez, its president, who were also indicted. Although disguised as office rent payments, the illegal bribes were allegedly paid in cash during clandestine exchanges in restaurants and parking lots. According to the indictment, the defendants generated and submitted bills to insurers totaling in the tens of millions of dollars. Most of these treatments involved the providing of shockwave therapy, which uses low-energy sound waves to initiate tissue repair. Proceeds from the insurance claims generated through this scheme were paid to Mathis and Valdez. Reese pleaded guilty in 2016 and began serving a one-year, one-day sentence. Valdez entered into a plea agreement in July 2017, and his sentencing hearing is set for September 7. And attorney Mathis pled not guilty. Thus, his case is still pending, while the court is in the process of determining his competency to stand trial. A status hearing on the competency of Mr. Mathis to stand trial is set for August 16, while the jury trial, which was set for August, was vacated, pending the outcome of the competency hearing. His attorney claims there are more than 250,000 pages of discovery in the case that she has to review with her client. His evaluators have concluded that Mathis is unable to assist counsel at trial due to his inability to provide reliable, valid information due to his insidious decline in memory and learning. And while his memory is unreliable, he also engages in confabulation, or the action of confidently asserting a story or series of events having occurred that in fact did not occur. This condition is likely to become more pronounced as it is more likely than not diagnosable as a mild neurocognitive disorder due to possible Alzheimer's disease from family history and other factors. The federal judge will rule on this competency to stand trial claim in the next few weeks. <clears throat> a joint enforcement strike force issued over $200,000 in administrative fines to nine Contra Costa County restaurants for failing to provide workers' compensation insurance. Investigators from the Contra Costa District Attorney's Office Department of Industrial Relations Labor Commissioner's Office and Employment Development Department conducted a surprise inspection at these Contra County restaurants suspected of deliberately evading the obligation to provide workers' comp insurance. The citations allege that the restaurants cumulatively employed 55 workers without providing insurance coverage in the event of an injury on the job. And that restaurants failed to respond to a warning letter from the DA's office in July of 2017. The labor code requires employers to provide workers' compensation insurance to cover employees in the event of an on-the-job injury. Willful failure to provide the insurance is punishable by substantial fines and misdemeanor criminal prosecution. Employees that do not know whether they are covered 
can check their employer's notices board or ask a manager. Labor Code Section 3550 requires the employers to post a notice identifying the current insurance at a conspicuous location at the job site. And in regulatory news, a new California Workers' Compensation Institute analysis offers a preliminary look at utilization review and independent medical review outcomes involving pharmaceutical requests since the state implemented a workers' comp formulary last January. In 2015, Governor Brown signed AB 1124, mandating the adoption of an evidence-based formulary for medications prescribed to California injured workers, and calling on the State Division of Workers' Compensation to incorporate the formulary into its medical treatment utilization schedule. The intent of the legislation was to ensure that medications provided to injured workers meet evidence-based standards and to reduce delays and frictional costs associated with pharmaceutical UR and IMR. The CWCI analysis used data from nearly 150,000 pharmaceutical requests and UR decisions from the first five months of 2017 and 2018 to measure and compare pre- and post-formulary UR and IMR prescription drug outcomes. The findings show that the proportion of UR decisions involving prescription drug requests showed a relative decline of 8.5% after implementation of the formulary. At the same time, the percentage of UR decisions in which a prescription drug request was denied was unchanged at 14.6%. UR decisions involving opioid requests showed little change edging down from 30.6% in the pre-formulary period to 30% after the formulary took effect. But the UR approval rate for opioids showed a sharper decline, falling from 72.3% to 68.8%. The Institute's study represents only a preliminary look at pharmaceutical UR and IMR data from the first few months that the system stakeholders were transitioning into the formulary. More time is needed to identify changes in prescribing patterns and other aspects of the formulary regulations that could impact UR and IMR disputes. So the CWCI will continue to monitor the results and take an expanded look at first-year formulary outcomes in a study scheduled for 2019 Workers' compensation Medicare set-asides have become a standard feature in settling workers' compensation claims over the past 15 years. This year, an estimated 26,000 workers' comp claims will likely be submitted for approval. Workers' compensation claims payers put over $2 billion a year in Medicare set-asides. The National Council on Compensation Insurance estimated MSAs represent about 45% of total settlement costs, with the average settlement including an MSA totaling about $200,000. The NCCI also found that medications account for more than half of the MSA costs. 
MSAs were created as a way for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to obtain reimbursement from employers or workers' comp carriers for work-related injuries requiring medical treatment. Payers have historically relied upon a cottage industry to use an optional, time-consuming, subjective method for Medicare set-aside compliance. Some claims payers have suspected that this method can over-budget for medical expenses. The suspicions may have just been confirmed by a Florida-based data analytics firm that analyzed more than a billion medical claims and MSAs that were reviewed and approved by CMS. The study found that 68% of approved MSAs contained set-asides for opioids. The data analysis also found that MSA drug prices were 36% higher than actual drug costs. And the report also found that actual drug use patterns diverged greatly from MSA forecasts, which typically overestimated actual medical spend. The data strongly suggests that the current CMS requirements for opioid drug cost set-asides predictably and excessively inflates the cost of claims. And in medical news, uncertainty over potential actions to reduce prescriptive drug costs and competitive threats have taken a toll this year on shares of companies in the U.S. pharmaceutical supply chain. Prescription drug wholesalers, drugstore chains, and pharmacy benefit managers generally have seen their stock prices tumble this year, even as the overall healthcare sector has gained 6%. Six stocks, CVS Health, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, Amerisource Bergen, McKesson Cardinal Health, and Express Scripts Holding, collectively recently traded one-third below their average valuation of the past five years. Fears the U.S. government will take actions to rein in prescription drug prices have cast a cloud over these stocks. Just last week, the shares were rattled as the Trump administration proposed a rule to scale back protections that allowed rebates between drug manufacturers and insurers and pharmacy benefit managers, the industry's so-called middlemen. Amazon's designs on the healthcare, in particular, its planned acquisition of online pharmacy PillPack also are pressuring the stocks, as are moves by drug makers such as Pfizer and Merck to cut some drug prices or rollback increases. A new study claims that generic medications for many common health problems like high blood pressure and diabetes may cost Medicare patients less when they pay cash instead of using their health insurance. Researchers who reported in the Annals of Internal Medicine compared out-of-pocket costs for 30-day supplies of 27 different medications for conditions related to cardiovascular disease. They looked at how often these prescriptions cost more than $4, the amount charged by Walmart's drug discount program, when people used one of 622 different standalone Medicare drug plans or one of 1,533 different health insurance plans known as Medicare Advantage. 
half of the time across all of the different medications and types of coverage, at least 21% of the Medicare plans required patients to spend more than the $4 for cover generic prescriptions. Results demonstrate that a surprising percentage of plans, particularly Medicare Advantage plans, have cost-sharing structures in place that may not give the cheapest option to their beneficiaries for common generic cardiovascular drugs. For all of the drugs in the study and all of the various plans, half of the time, the out-of-pocket cost was just $2. With generic drugs in what is known as Tier 1, the lowest cost prescription drugs, half of the medications cost at least $2 with Medicare Advantage. But with the Medicare drug plans, half of the drugs cost no more than $1. On higher tiers of benefits than that mean higher out-of-pocket costs, medicines cost at least $10 half of the time with Medicare Advantage compared with $3 for standalone drug plans. And last Thursday, Merck announced price cuts to some of its medicines, including a 60% reduction to a hepatitis C treatment after President Trump criticized drug makers for failing to help reduce health care costs for consumers. Merck became the first major drug maker to announce voluntary price decreases amid heightened political scrutiny over the high cost of prescription medications and promises by Trump that drug price reductions were coming. In addition, Merck said it would lower the list price by 10% of six other older drugs with minuscule sales. It also said it would not increase the average net price of other medicines in its portfolio of products by more than the inflation rate annually. Trump expressed anger at drug makers over planned price hikes, and he said they should be ashamed and that his administration would respond. Under direct pressure from Trump, Pfizer, the largest U.S. drug maker, said it would delay July 1 price increases until the end of the year or until the president's blueprint for lowering drug costs goes into effect. Swiss drug maker Novartis followed this week, saying it would not raise prices in the United States for the rest of the year. U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar said it is these announcements, that these announcements are in response to President Trump's blueprint and reflect the industry's understanding that the president is serious about bringing change to our drug markets. Trump made lowering prescription drug prices a top 2016 presidential campaign issue. Last May, he unveiled a blueprint to lower drug prices that appeared to largely spare drug makers and instead took aim at middlemen such as health insurers and pharmacy benefit managers, which demand hefty rebates in exchange for broad access to patients. The cost of health care is expected to be a major campaign issue ahead of the November midterm elections, with control of the House of Representatives and the Senate at stake. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device 
by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Comp News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarlett Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.